Welcome to the Get Star Brazilian podcast. I'm Gar O'Hara. We're joined today by Jay Hira, currently the Security and Compliance Advisor at Salesforce. Jay has a broad experience having been on the tools as a pen tester, been a senior advisor at KPMG, senior consultant at IBM, security and risk manager at Accenture, senior manager at EY, and having worked cyber in finance orgs. We got to speak face-to-face and discussed APRA CPS 234 and the role and value of certifications, standards, and regulations, the critical infrastructure bill, and the inflection point we're seeing in how consumers value privacy, and also the zero trust approach to cyber resilience. Over the conversation. Today, I'm joined by Jay Hira, Security and Compliance Advisor with Salesforce. How are you doing today, Jay? Very well. Thank you for asking. Uh, glad to be here uh, on your podcast, Gar. Good to have you. Good to have you. Um, yeah, we, we've we've luckily caught up a few times now on email and text and stuff over the last few weeks. So uh, it's been great to get to know you and oh, it's so awesome to have you here face to face. We're getting to do this uh, in person, which is wonderful. Um, Jay, look, at the, the first question we ask everybody is how did they get to where they are today? And so the audience has a little bit of an understanding and you know gets where you, you've come from, your journey, essentially. Alrighty. So um, my journey started in a small town in the western part of India. That's where I grew up. And as a kid, I think I was always a very curious kid. And growing up, um, I think it was understanding how computers really operated and how they connected with other computers and the networks. I think that was what um, invoked the initial curiosity, which led me into um, pursuing computer science and engineering at university. While I was at university, I was uh, I was just a nerd and in terms of a, a bookworm as well, and which is where anyone who read any book used to come to me and request uh, that, you know, have a look and see how you go. So I, came, I stumbled upon a book which was an unofficial guide to ethical hacking, which actually exposed me to certain concepts of how Easter eggs work in software programs and how you can manipulate computers through low-level system settings. And that, again, sparked that curiosity in me to mm. learn a bit more about it, explore a bit more about it, which led me into my first role as a penetration tester. Now, um, I was good at what I did. And at that point, I felt like uh, I learned everything that was to be learned in that domain and Mm. which is where I was looking for a new challenge. So I knew personally that my communication skills were very poor, my interpersonal skills were poor, and I needed to get out of the lab. Mm. So I chose a consulting uh, job and I had to face the client. It it, it is as customer-facing as it gets uh, in the consulting world. And I guess the point that I'm trying to get at is that I've been very strategic in terms of roles that I've chosen or the opportunities that I've pursued, um, which um, in a way gives me uh, exposure to a lot of different areas of cybersecurity that I Mm -hmm. wanted to uh, develop and enhance. Now, um, 2012 is when I moved to Australia. And uh, I think the move taught me a lot of things. Some things that come top top of mind are around personal resilience, uh, the need to have really strong relationship with mentors who would then guide you on your journey to life, um, and you know picking up things quickly. Um, we were stuck by uh, with COVID in mm. twenty twenty, and that gave us a lot of time to reflect on who we really are and what are we doing? Are we enjoying it or not? Uh, that made me, in fact, realize why I do what I do, one of the important discoveries. And also, um, you know, 
in terms of my interest, I love working with universities, um, with educators on how do we ensure that students get the right sort of exposure and they are industry ready when they move into the mm-hmm. workforce. Um, again, like if, if I was to summarize and if I look back at what has been the most rewarding part of uh, my journey so far, it is not what I've done. It is not uh, what I've learned. It's It's been more of how I've helped people succeed. So it's the giving back that's been the most rewarding part of my mm-hmm. journey. Uh, that is what got me to where I am right now, Gar. And, uh, you know, I'd just like to understand from you in terms of uh, what, as an advocate for cybersecurity, what really motivates you in this domain? Probably the same thing. Like, honestly, it's it's the, I know it sounds so cheesy, but like, that's the, the big part of the brief for the podcast is the, uh, God, it does sense, it's so cheesy saying that loud, but you know, it's the giving back. It's the, the bit where, you know, and, and you know this from the prep calls and any guest who's been on. Uh, and we said this like not 10 minutes ago, my job is to get out of the way so people can hear, you know, from the, the guests. And and that to me is given back. You know, my job is to hopefully meet people like you and all the other guests that have been on to sort of try and, um, yeah, try and give back to the cybersecurity community. They've been so kind to me. That's the thing, you know, so many people have, uh, and, and that's been the general experience I've had in this industry is that people are unbelievably helpful willing to share, open, um, which, yeah, I just think is, is so, so, it's just a, it's a wonderful attribute of our industry. Absolutely. Agree mm. with you, Sporan. I think the world needs more kindness and you've got to start with being kind to yourself and then being kind to others. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. You know, we, we talk about the prep that we were doing for the episode today and you know, one of the things I understand you're interested in and, and certainly you're keen to talk about today is the APRA uh, CPS234, which kind of hit us a little while ago, changed from a guideline to a standard. And um, I know as a company, we started getting a lot of queries about, you know, what's going on with uh, CPS234. Do you guys have a statement? And um, I'd be very keen for you to run us through, what first of all, what CPS234 is, first of all, and um, yeah, what its value is. All right, so um, let's start with a simpler answer and then let's get into the uh, more complex answer with a detailed structure around the why, what, and how of CPS234. The simpler answer is, as a regulator, you've got to be able to measure your regulated entities on different areas. It could be social responsibilities, it could be information security, and you can't measure something that you uh, haven't really defined or enforced. Mm-hmm. And CPS 234, the draft when it was released uh, in March 2018, was APRA's effort to essentially define the minimum requirements around information security. So that's like mm-hmm. the short answer of what it is all about. Um, but let's follow the structure of why, what, and how. So why was it needed? I think a lot of influencing factors uh, the number of incidents, um, the impact of these incidents. Uh, it was getting to a point where, um, you know, uh, it wasn't a question of if, but when are you going to be breached? Mm-hmm. And which actually goes back to the point around when APRA announced the draft CPS-234, they came out and they said that um, organizations or regulated entities uh, need to adopt the approach of being assumed breached. And you've got to now focus more of your capabilities on how would you detect these breaches? How would you respond to them? How do you recover out of them? The overall element of cyber resilience is what they wanted to 
focus on. So that's the why of uh, why CPS-234 was really needed. The what is, again, fairly simple. The what is... Uh, there was a CPG which always existed, mm-hmm. but as soon as you open up a CPG, there's an about section in it which says that, you know, this is APRA's point of view on what is best practice, what good looks like, but that that's not enforceable, mm-hmm. and which is where APRA needed to take a stand in making it enforceable. So that's mm-hmm. the what. The how is something that we discussed when we earlier met, more around how there's uh, 24 requirements, broadly nine different areas, and the standard itself um, is principles-based, and it's not granular, prescriptive, or uh, compliance-based standard, more like PCI DSS, which we compared it to when we mm-hmm. spoke, you know, how PCI DSS is prescriptive in terms of going to the details of what password needs to be set on a certain system, uh, which falls within the cardholder data network. So I guess mm-hmm. that, in a way, summarizes uh, CPS-234. And do you think it changed? Because uh, you, you know, you mentioned that you know it's been around since March 2018. I think you said, and you know, went from guideline to standard. One of the things I would say I've seen in our industry is, unless you have to, quite often people won't. And it's only when something becomes, you know, a certification or a standard or a regulatory requirement that's when you see change. Um, what was your perception of APRA regulated bodies pre-standard when it was guidelines? Was it a little bit? Mm, it's optional, so maybe we, you know, we we may do some of it, maybe we won't. But what what, what was going on back then? Yeah, so I think uh, we've got to recognize as APRA, as a regulator, regulates super funds, it regulates insurers, it regulates the large uh, ADIs, as in banks, it regulates foreign ADIs as well. Um, and 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 which is where it's it's like, how can you have a common yardstick mm. to measure someone? that's a smaller business or a medium-sized business versus a larger business, which is generating a lot of revenue and mm. obviously has a lot of focus because they're storing so much personal information. You know, they've got a focus, they've got a clear program which focuses on protecting this information or, you know, better data handling practices. And which is where the challenge was more around how do we nudge these smaller and medium-sized businesses, or how do we actually give them a business case to go to the board to justify and also then, you know, use this standard as a driver to get the funds that are needed to implement cyber hygiene. Let's call it cyber hygiene because mm-hmm. that's the requirements actually hint at what's, un- what's you know, natural and what's necessary or what's non-negotiable, which needs mm-hmm. to be there in these financial services organization. And, and so do you think, yeah, like as I, as I think through what you just said there, like one of the, the biggest utilities in certifications regulation is that it forces the hand of businesses to do probably what they should do anyway. Um, you know, it should be nearly on a t-shirt at this stage, but you know, compliance <laughs> doesn't mean security, like they're totally different things. And, uh, and even certification doesn't really mean good security outcomes. And, and same with standards, but like, what's your perspective on that and, and the usefulness of, you know, the ISM or APRA to CPS 234, NIST or any of those things when it comes to, to change? And probably there's a second part of that question, which is the regulations, because I think that's where often things really change. Love to hear your perspective on that. Okay. Um, uh, I think short answer again would be does achieving certifications or following standards or following what you're mandated through your regulator lead to security outcomes. Uh, I guess uh, 
No, not necessarily. And like mm. you already called out that, you know, it's it's not necessary that will lead you to good security outcomes or good cyber hygiene or good uh, privacy practices. And again, it boils down to the fact of, you know, let's draw parallels to university education, right? Good, solid university education gives you a very good foundation to be successful. But can we tie... Uh, university education to success in the workforce? Not necessarily. We've seen both ways, right? We've seen people who get good university education and are successful, but at the same time, it's not a deterrent, right? If you haven't really got good university or formal university education, doesn't mean you're not going to be successful in the workforce. Uh, so I guess that's 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 the key point in mm. here. Um that you know, smaller medium businesses would always need that bit of a push or a nudge mm. to achieve or to drive results or achieve good cyber hygiene, whereas the larger businesses are already ahead of the curve in terms of their efforts. And then this, in a way, uh, helps them establish security metrics or you know demonstrate that their capabilities or this becomes like a differentiator for them mm. to succeed. Yeah, and it, I suppose in a way it gives us a, a common language. So it can roughly know where organizations that we work with are sitting in terms of their, you know, adherence to a standard, whatever that may be. And so I definitely feel like there's usefulness there. And then the regulation, I feel like that's the bit where stuff really changes. I think of it like GDPR, you know, how long the privacy conversation had been happening. Then GDPR happened and you watched how many organizations had to change and let's be honest, not always in a good way to, to, to that point. It's, you know, compliance doesn't necessarily lead to the good outcomes, which is, you know, you see cookie acceptance boxes everywhere now on websites, and you kind of have to accept them if you want to view the uh, the content, and that's not really in the spirit, right, of GDPR. So I suppose, uh, suppose there is that. Here's another question for you. When you think about this heavily interconnected digital world we live in, everything is connected to everything, and it's all digital, Um how do you see regulators or the role of regulators in terms of making safer that entire ecosystem? You know, when you think at a you know, certainly commercial level, national level, and then probably international too, like what's the role of regulations there? In the past, if we look at what has been the role of regulators, it has always been to drive quality outcomes and also to always look at the general public and their interest. I almost feel like um, in the future, the role is now becoming a bit more broader and which is where it's split between policymakers and regulators both. And we have seen a prime example closer to where we are here in Australia, wherein uh, the government came out with a 2020 cybersecurity strategy, which essentially you know, gives you a roadmap of what are we trying to achieve mm. or what are we trying to do or amalgamation of all the effort towards combating uh, cyber threats. And that, in a way, gives the regulators, you know, some sort of a platform or some, some sort of a input from top down on how do we regulate our industry or how regulated uh, entities within, within a specific industry. So regulation, in a way, does play a key role of driving outcomes and they you know, play a role in cyber hygiene. They play a role in every aspect that we've discussed so far. Um, so I guess that's what that's 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 where coming at. Um, mm. Anything that you'd want to add here, Gar? No, I think that's that's really good. I mean, the, the thing I'd add is maybe another question for you, which is your thoughts on the uh, 
the critical infrastructure bill, you know, that's the thing that's working its way through Parliament at the moment. And I think broadly has support in Australia. I think we, uh, my sense is that we need it. You know, the, the things that are going on uh, at the moment in Australia, but I would say internationally, um, you know, Biden's doing his thing. And, uh, you know, so are we, so are many other countries. And I think, I think for most people now, they get an understanding of how vulnerable we are when it comes to power, when it comes to healthcare, uh, finance, education, transport, all of those things. That, and I think, I don't know what your sense is, but I feel like COVID was the bit where people realized our supply chains are very brittle. You know, just in time, delivery is fine when everything's working, but when it breaks, it's actually, it's kind of a nightmare. We saw it in not Petya as well. It's not just COVID. Um, yeah, like what are your thoughts on the, uh, the, the critical infrastructure bill? I totally, totally agree with you. Like uh, think of someone who's, trying to go for a regular healthcare checkup and they expect a certain service that needs to be available. You know, there needs to be some doctors look at their notes on, you know, when did they last see the uh, patient? What was their blood pressure? And this is important and this infrastructure needs to be maintained. So I completely Mm -hmm. agree with you on the point around how they've gone into expansion of this critical infrastructure bill to include financial services or Mm -hmm. retailers or, you know, other critical areas that were always, uh, you know, something that we should have thought about earlier. And we're now starting to realize that, you know, it's important to include them. I love the fact that you said should have thought about earlier, because I think that's the failing of uh, societies in general, is that there's so many things where, let's be honest, our industry has been talking about this for how many years? Um, Bruce Schnarr, I saw him talk at one of the Australian conferences, and I remember him talking about we're going to see critical infrastructure getting hit. It's going to be power. It's going to be healthcare. So it wasn't, there should have been no surprises, but it just uh, takes a little bit of time for this stuff to yeah, to land, doesn't it, sometimes? And, and policy to catch up with yeah, reality, I suppose. Absolutely. Agree with you there, Guy. Yeah. Um, one of the things, you know, when we, we, and, you know, as I look through uh, the submissions to the the critical infrastructure bill and many of the kind of industry submissions and a lot of the unis actually I saw um, had commentary, it seemed to revolve around broad support, but we need clarity on the specifics because that's kind of the devil is in the detail. Um, and one of the things that was raised um, by many of the submissions was the the costs that are incurred through doing good security, good privacy. Um, you know, it's not stuff that's free. Um, and in some industries, you know, and, it, and you know, here I'd look to maybe the Western side of the US and some of the stuff that comes out of, you know, big tech, you externalize the costs to the people who are using your app. But you can't really do that when you think about critical infrastructure, healthcare, et cetera. Be very keen to get your thoughts on, like, and, and I don't know if there's an answer for this one, so it's a little bit of a curveball, but when it comes to the cost of privacy and security, how do we tackle that? Because I don't know if there's an easy answer. Um, I agree with you, Gar, but let me just take a stab at it. The idea is that you've got to, this This is like foundational practices that you've got to have, cyber hygiene, good mm-hmm. security, good privacy practices. We've talked about that. The struggle in the industry is the challenge that we spoke about earlier around the difference between, uh, you know, where are we going to get the funding for it from, you know, uh, there's small and medium businesses already striving with challenges, not being able to keep up with regulations. And then there are obviously market leaders or the larger or, um, you know, revenue generating businesses, which Mm. 
obviously are ahead of the curve but i almost feel like what has happened is uh, the consumer itself has become very uh, security and privacy savvy mm. and you would now uh, you know almost in order to maintain and continue to get your consumers trust they expect a level of um, you know proper data handling practices out of mm. any organization that they share that they are with you know it could be a small super fund or it could be an insurer they are now becoming more and more security and privacy conscious and they want to know exactly if i'm sharing some data with you how are you going to use that data if i ask you to will you share all the data with me you know if i want you to delete the data would you delete the data so i think consumers getting so more conscious than they were in the past and um, when we when you spoke about gdpr and when it came into effect ccp and some of the other regulations that we've seen there's such a big win for consumer rights you mm. know uh, we, we need to recognize how massive wins these are uh, from and you know government initiatives actually focusing more on rights of the consumer which 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 is fantastic so we're moving we're drifting away from you know using yardsticks to measure but already you know we have rather than using regulations standards certifications uh, you know for by these organizations as drivers i think it's more of how do you win and continue to maintain the consumer's trust because of the more consciousness that uh, that's been built into the consumers mm-hmm. i guess i guess that's the important point Yeah and, and you know I I hope so so much that uh that that has changed it does feel like we're we're starting to see a shift and um you know when we were prepping for this you know we we talked kind of about some of the moves that Apple has made around you know kind of going using privacy as a selling point you know and I'm, and and what's weird to me is I'm seeing posters as I drive around in Sydney and finally that thing of privacy being a you know competitive differentiator is is being used and i think if apple does it let's be honest it's very won't be very yeah, very long until other big organizations start to follow suit right absolutely yeah. uh, and that's the whole point that's where you're trying to not worry so a lot of organizations would look at the costs or the time invested in meeting regulations irrespective of whether they're security or privacy focused regulations mm. as an overhead whereas i think it's time to recognize that you know these are basic non-negotiable uh, practices that we need to follow and now try and capitalize if you're already investing in it you might as well make it sound like it's something that you're offering uh, mm. to your customers and which is which is exactly what you know some of the players in the market are doing that are leading and you know they've, they've got the funding so it's um, I think I was talking to a, a developer uh, a couple of days ago and they were talking more about how development was always focused on outcomes in the past as to what do you what's the end state but mm. now it's becoming uh, more agile in terms of you know every time uh, there's there's a user you know they keep on changing their requirements and you've got to keep up with Mm. Uh, their requirements almost constantly with your sprints so i guess that's where we're moving towards you know you've got to uh, make sure that your drivers are adversaries which are the bad guys as well as users or consumers of your product mm. rather than using regulators or 
standards or certifications mm. as a driver to achieve good practices. I think you're, you're so right on that, that there's no one solution. It's a combination of different things. I've heard that said a few times recently that, um, you know, it won't be one thing. It'll be many things that kind of fix many, not fix, but, you know, get us to a better place with many of these problems. And I really like your take on the organizations that are leading with this stuff, because I think what we're going to start to see, and this is a crystal ball thing, but we'll hopefully start to see um, startups and very small emerging companies understanding how important this stuff will be in the future, building in privacy and security by design from the start, which is way cheaper. So down the line, you're way, you know, you can go faster, you can move uh, more uh, quickly to market, bring new products because you've, you know, you built your core uh, around privacy and security rather than carrying the technical debt along with you, which is, let's be honest, that's what, that's what has been kind of the standard for the, the longest time, I think. Totally agree with you, Gar, and which is where I think uh, a lot of organizations have now started to look at their security effort and align it with what's the outcome that business wants to achieve. So align your security mm. outcomes with your business outcome, align your security strategy with your business strategy, align your security policies or security initiatives with what business is trying to achieve. And some of these, you know, one of the simplest examples could be, let's just say there's an insurer um, that wants to create a single customer view of the, um, you know, of, of, of their consumers mm. and which is for their own benefit because, you know, they've seen a consumer using two separate products. They are supported by two separate stacks of mm. applications. There's no communication between them and they don't even know if it's the same customer or not, you know, uh, and which is where they're seeing a lot of value in this single customer view. So that's what business is heading towards, right? How do you align your security outcomes with that? That means, you know, there's going to be a lot of communication between systems. You know, there's going to be a lot of different channels through which we're offering services. So you've got to now focus more on aligning your security outcomes with what business is trying to achieve. And that's the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. If we start doing that, if we start getting on that journey, then it becomes much easier to justify. I almost feel like there's two groups, um, you know, of of people within an organization uh, and it needs to be security team isn't just security team security team needs to be the whole organization everyone is an mm -hmm. ambassador for security rather than you know just one bunch of people five or six nerds in a room or five or six people trying to you know be the detractors or you know mm -hmm. you perceive them as you know not enablers but probably people who always ask questions around why do you know why why are you doing that why do you mm. need to send this file out why is it a flat file what have you thought about what's the content of the file I think it's the perception the general perception is you you ask a lot of questions so let's change that mm. and let's get to a point wherein we're trying to align with all right fine let's sit down on the table let's try and understand what are you trying to do and then we'll support with how to do how to achieve whatever you want to achieve in the most optimal way, mm. but at the same time managing trust in the information that you're trying to transfer from one point to the other. So yeah. I guess that's where we're headed towards. I totally agree. Um, and, and I hear this from obviously security leaders like yourself, but more and more, um, yeah, security, you know, it's a, probably an overused analogy in our industry. The, you know, the, the, the reason brakes are in a car is the car can go faster. 
I feel like the brakes are starting to wear out on that analogy because it's uh, it's probably our only go-to, but it, it's so perfect because it absolutely makes sense. Um, but I agree with you 100% that uh, more and more in this industry, I'm hearing a maturity from security leadership, which is we are a function that enables the business rather than you know some isolated silo that just has to build the biggest wall around the organization or whatever. And, and this is maybe the perfect segue the biggest wall, you know, when we were talking uh, prior to the uh, recording today, one of the things that came up was zero trust, which is just, it's such a big topic of conversation at the at the moment. Um, I know I've done you know, multiple talks even just in the last few weeks on it. And it, it seems like a huge appetite to have the conversation, what does it mean, um, et cetera. And there's definitely, I think we're past the eye rolling stage where, you know, the, the marketing brochures all had zero trust and every Every platform, every vendor had some sort of take on zero trust. But um, what's your take on a you know marketing term versus the kind of practical approaches? Like, what is zero trust to you? Um, at the core of the concept, it's about bringing security to where your data really lives, which sounds so simple, right? Mm. But at the same time, the idea is, and 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 the reason why it sounds very simple and very not security is just because traditionally we've always looked at network-centric perimeter-based security, which essentially translates to you're either trusted or not trusted. Mm. And that trust decision is made at an organization's firewall or at a perimeter wherein you're determining that anything on the outside of these walls is untrusted. Mm. Anything on the inside of these walls is trusted. But think of it this way, right? is anyone, any traffic coming from within the organization really trusted? Can we really put in that intrinsic trust in anything that's within the four walls? Mm. Let's just say you and me were having drinks. We had a pizza party at home watching footy. And there's, while I was trying to just he, he, reheat or heat the pizzas, someone just knocked on the door. You let them in. They're sitting down with us. They have access to the whole house and we haven't even checked with them. We've just trusted them because, you know, there's some of your friends that you've invited, some of my friends, you think they're my my friends, I'm thinking they're your friends and they just get into a conversation. So there's just so much trust that we, uh, that we have on them that we haven't even asked them about, you know, why are you here and what are you doing here? Mm. So the point again that I'm trying to make here is that with uh, the pandemic with this sudden influx of digital transformation with this mantra of, you know, uh, adopt digital transformation now mm. in order to stay competitive, stay afloat. We've got so many different channels through which our organizations or products or data within our organization is being accessed. It used to be from within the offices, now it's remote Mm. users, our partners are remote, Mm. our customers probably had access to our websites, but now they've got access to our apps from their phones. Um, They can actually book tickets from, you know, their their phones again. So again, the idea is that there's no perimeter at all, Mm. and which is where the whole concept of network-centric uh, perimeter-based security doesn't really work anymore. Mm. Um, so, so that's where, you know, when I was trying to summarize or give a short answer, I said that, you know, bring all of your uh, perimeter or bring all of your controls closer to the data. Anytime that I think of uh, zero trust, in my head, I've got this picture of five circles. 
Uh, one of the circles at the center is the data circle. There's four circles on the corners of, you know, assume a rectangle. There are four circles on the corners. One of, you know, those four circles are your network, your devices, um, uh, you know, your users, your uh, applications or systems. And that rectangle itself is an envelope of controls, which are the detect, respond, recover capabilities. So, mm. Imagine this, think of these pillars. These are the, this is your ecosystem. When um, when a user is trying to access data or when a user is trying to access a device, when the device is trying to access a network, when there's a system that's trying to access data, there needs to be controls that protect. So there needs to be almost like micro perimeters around each of these pillars mm. that will almost not intrinsically trust anyone that's asking for access, but mm. will test and verify and validate before the access is granted. So that's that's in a sense where uh, you know zero trust is at. Have you read anything recently that resonates oh. with you, or you know something that's a simpler concept, right? So I've I've, I've been reading a lot on zero trust and, and sort of uh, listening to a lot of stuff on zero trust. And um, yeah, I think what you've just said is is pretty much it. I'm in your analogy. It's yeah, it's like making sure the guy sits on the sofa. And, and gets asked his name and doesn't get any pizza and not any beers until we know exactly who he is, what team he supports, and, and who let him in at what time. Um, yeah, I think I think that's it. I think um, one of the things I've been talking about a little bit, I suppose, is uh, the idea of, you know, I've heard this thing of, well, isn't this just least privilege? Haven't we always done it? And, and I don't think it is. And I don't think it's a marketing term because I think what we what we're seeing now is, uh, technology as an enabler, the telemetry that's available to make contextual decisions didn't really exist in the way it does today. Um, the ability to micro-segment um, security domains or controls within an organization, I don't think that existed at a tech level. Um, so I think we might have always wanted to do zero trust, but we're only now at a point where it's sort of feasible from a, a tech perspective. And and I also think there's a uh, an appetite from a policy, and by that I mean the, the policy within a, an organization, uh, to map to those more stringent security controls, so that if the worst does happen, you get popped. It's a you know it's a much smaller uh, blast radius, and I hate using that term because I know a lot of people roll their eyes, but it's it's useful. Um, you know, it's a smaller impact. I think that stuff has become uh, really really important. How do you? Here's a, here's a maybe a tricky one. Like how do you see that evolve? Like what what is it? Do we just get more granular? Like what's the evolution of zero trust? Um. I guess zero trust is the start. That's where you mm -hmm. start. And I almost feel like uh, a lot of conversations that I've had recently, a lot of people have asked me around, we want to start zero trust. Where do we really start? And how is this going to evolve in the future? So this is the same, mm -hmm. same question that we're discussing. I guess where you start is very foundational, right? Anytime mm -hmm. that we start on a journey to achieve a regulation or a security standard or a certification you start looking at your data and mm. where is your data flowing? You know, take the prime example of PCI DSS, cardholder data. If you're mm. storing cardholder data, if you're a merchant, you've got to actually know exactly where it's being stored, how is it being processed, mm. and where does it move? You know, what are the hops? What are the systems or applications that it touch? And sometimes these simplest things are the hardest things. Mm. Um Back in 2015, I, I do remember I, I'd attended a conference, a soccer conference, where I heard uh, Mike Burgess speak. He was then the uh, CISO uh, of Telstra. And the point that he was trying to relay was really simple. He was talking about five no's of cybersecurity. Mm. Know where your data is. Know what the value of your data is. Um, 
know who's protecting it, know who's got access to it, know how well protected it is. Five simple terms, right? Mm. But that summarizes cybersecurity, right? And that's where you start. That's the foundation. Mm. Figure out where the data really is and map the flow of this data. That's like the very beginning. Now, the question more around where would this evolve to? Um, I think that's a difficult one. And mm. that's where if you start embedding these principles uh, in play or if you start getting this in play, I guess you're ready for any sort of a challenge. I don't really see this evolving into any other concept which will just, you know, 10 years down the line will wake us up. But I may be wrong again, right? Um, everything that needs to be thought about feels like with this concept, it's been thought about. There may be an extra circle that gets added in here, right? The foundational mm. pillars. But the concept still stays, right? Why that intrinsic trust stop um, having that intrinsic trust, start validating before you trust. Mm. I guess that is a very powerful concept. And I think you can't really beat that concept. That applies to us as human beings. That applies to uh, computers, systems, applications, networks. That applies mm. everywhere. Yeah, it really does. It's, it's funny, as you were talking through that, I was thinking about what, like, what could the evolution be? And if it was like, if it was double zero trust, but you use numbers, what you would end up with is the infinite sign and it would be infinite trust. And that's probably definitely not what we want. Um, Jay, uh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm sorry to finish in such a crappy joke uh, in, after such a good conversation, but thank you uh, so, so much for joining us here today. I'm going to steal your analogy, by the way. I liked your uh, university education analogy and how that uh, it correlates, but doesn't necessarily indicate that you're going to be successful. I think that's a really good analogy for uh, security certifications at an organizational level or compliance. Um, so I, with your permission, we'll be stealing that one. Thank for you sure. so much for joining us. Thank you, Gar. Really appreciate you giving me this opportunity to be on your podcast. Absolutely. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank Absolute you. pleasure. Thanks so much to Jay for that conversation and for sharing a tea and beer after we recorded. You can guess who had the tea and who had the beer. As always, thank you for listening to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. Jump into our back catalog of episodes and like, subscribe, and leave us a review. For now, stay safe, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode. Bye.